a quick favor to ask. If you enjoy this podcast, do me a favor. Please go to Apple or Spotify and click follow. See, part of the reason that I started this podcast is that money is taboo. And my dream is to be able to inspire millions of people just like you to build a healthier relationship with money. And so by clicking follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it really helps my team and it helps this podcast get in front of more couples who need it. Thank you again for being an IWT listener. It means a lot to my team and it means a lot to me. Do you notice on this show that a lot of couples fight about the price of ice cream or a $20 Amazon purchase? And one of the primary reasons for that is that their fixed costs are just too high. We've seen 70%, 83%, even 125% fixed costs on this show. Now, of course, I recommend they work to get those costs down, cut subscriptions, pay off debt, cut their groceries, maybe even their housing costs or car. But frankly, the price of toothpaste is the price of toothpaste. Everybody's basically paying the same amount. So naturally, as your income goes up, your fixed cost percentage will go down. If you want to know how to increase your income, you should come to my next live coaching call. This March 14th in my money coaching program, we're going to talk about how to negotiate a higher salary. I'm going to show you some of the techniques that lots of my students have used to negotiate their salary, whether it's at their existing job or for a new job. And at the end, plenty of time for Q&A. You can only get the invitation to this live call, How to Negotiate a Higher Salary, by joining my coaching program at iwt.com slash moneycoaching. I'll see you at iwt.com slash moneycoaching. I've been frugal my entire life and to see the amount of money that I am accumulating in debt like absolutely is disgusting to me Okay. and I can't control it. I had a car issue and I went on a whim with my dad and I bought a new car and didn't tell him at all. I just did it within hours of finding out that my car couldn't get fixed. He wouldn't talk to me. It caused a huge issue. I don't know. Like I just, I like, Sorry, I don't want to mean to like be emotional about it. I just, I know like I can do better. It's like I put up this, you know, invisible wall that's not making me go forward. I'm Ramit Sethi, and you're listening to the I Will Teach You To Be Rich podcast. This is the podcast where I feature real stories about love and money from behind closed doors. Today, I'm speaking with Adam and Elizabeth. Now, both of them have lived with considerable debt, but they've taken two totally different approaches to dealing with it. At one point, Adam had $75,000 of debt. But one day, he was sitting down getting his hair cut, and he realized he wanted to make a change. And so you're going to hear him tell the story of how overnight he decided to pay off his debt and how he paid it off within nine months. Okay? Compare that to what his partner is going through right now. Elizabeth, she's living in debt right now. She's about to start her fourth year of grad school, and she's almost $100,000 in debt. Now, you're going to hear her call herself some pretty negative things in this episode, which is heartbreaking. Now, even though they have both been in debt, they're fighting over their different approaches with money. My goal is to see if we can get them on the same page. Let's listen. On balance, what do you feel about going back to grad school and incurring this debt? I think it's going to be a good career move for me. I just can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Why is that? Just because I've never had this kind of debt before. I didn't really, again, know what debt was until I my mom said, okay, you're out of school now. You're going to start paying your loans off. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Like, let's be an adult here, you know? <laughs> So that kind of slapped me hard in the face, but it's, it's just like horrible to see that every year I'm putting 10 grand on each semester, if not more, it doesn't seem to get any better. I had a car issue and I went on a whim with my dad and I bought a new car and didn't tell him at all. I just did it within hours of finding out that my car couldn't get fixed. He wouldn't talk to me. It caused a huge issue. Well, what kind of issue? That he says, like, we're not married, but we want to think about, like, our finances together. And we should have conversations like that, especially for a big purchase. 
And I didn't, I didn't even think about talking to him, honestly, because I said, well, it's my money. I'm doing what I want with it. And I understand his point of view, but I felt like this is my life and I should be able to do what I want with it. Mm -hmm. He was so angry. He wouldn't talk to me. He was pretty much saying that I made a huge, stupid mistake and I learned from my dumb lesson. You know, I just, I felt a little belittled a little bit. Like I'm an adult, I can buy a car, but I kind of understand where he's coming from, but it was hard to see it at the time. And what happened the next day or the day after? I guess like for the last like couple of weeks or, you know, he would constantly, if I said something about my car, he'd come back at me and say, oh, well, since you did this and wasted your money on that, you know, like bringing it up when it wasn't necessary and it makes me more mad that he's, that's how he expresses his emotion about how upset he was that I just bought the car. How do you feel about the car? I mean, I thought I needed it. I need it for my job. So I thought I have to be, like do this now or never. I can't live without a car. So I love my car. <laughs> well, what kind of car is it? It's um, a Ford EcoSport. Okay. what What is that? A car or a SUV? What is that? It's kind of like an SUV, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah. So what do you love about it? Um, I love the color. It's my favorite color. It's red. I never had like a car that had like leather seats as heated seats here, like a heating steering wheel. It has a bunch of luxury accessories. So I, I love that. I can hear you light up as you talk about this car. What's really interesting to me here is that this car, this cause of this huge fight between them seems to be a really good purchase for Elizabeth. It might not have been a good purchase for Adam. And there's definitely something to be said for them not communicating about it. But what strikes me is that she doesn't sound like she regrets buying the car at all. And yet, did you hear the way she described her decision to buy it? It's so interesting that some of the other words you use to discuss it are words like dumb, stupid, mistake. Mm -hmm. So how do you reconcile those two things? Again, it was like really hard to, in the beginning when he was making me kind of feel upset about doing it, I was kind of like, stepping back, like maybe I shouldn't have done that, whatever. But then I really do love my car. And I thought it's, it was a good purchase for me. Mm. And I have to remind myself that sometimes it's the, something that I want mm -hmm. and I should respect my wishes, you know? Yeah. So I want to preface it. This was like three years ago and you know, I feel it whatever, was last two, year, last, last year, year. Mm -hmm. either way, I feel like we've made strides since then, both of us. So the background to the car purchase was she had a car that was running fine. And then all of a sudden, like out of the blue, boom, the engine blew, took it to the shop. The people at the shop said, the engine is done. You need a new car. That's all. Well, wait, wait, and, hold on. Before we go on, I just have to ask a question. Was yeah. that car a Ford? It was. Yeah. So it was your new car. Though. Why do you guys keep buying Fords when they always <laughs> break down? What is the problem here? <laughs> Are you against Ford? You know what Ford used to stand for and I argue still stands for? Found on roadside daily. Yeah. <laughs> or fixed or repaired daily. Okay, I'm just messing around. We had a bad experience with a Ford Tempo in my childhood, so I'm still bitter. But it sounds like the one you got is a lot better. Okay, sorry. Adam, back to you. She took the car to the shop and it was in there for what, like a week or so? And the mechanic said, look, the engine is dead. The car is not fixable. That's all. And so then I receive a text that says, or maybe it was a call that says, oh, the mechanic said that the car isn't fixable. And like immediately, I know people, like I, I know ways to get, go to the junkyard, get a spare engine, put a spare engine in a car, or even put a new engine in a car. So like I, now I'm getting all these ideas like, oh, no problem. We'll just get it. We'll just get an engine. That'll be a quick one week from now, it'll have a new engine in it and it'll, it'll run like new. Like there so, was no problem. So you, car. you, you heard the problem. You wanted to fix the problem. Right. And then like, literally I'm saying that out loud. And then as I'm saying it, she's like, she says, Oh, well, uh, it doesn't matter because I, I traded that car in and I have a new car now. <laughs> I was like, Oh my goodness. It just caught me off guard. That's all. And I don't not, not to say that it was a bad purchase, in the end, like it may have been a good purchase, but the problem was that we didn't decide it together. And like, like uh, Elizabeth said, 
we're not married and it is her decision in the end, but it just felt like, you know, we're living under the same roof and things like that. So it just felt like we could have communicated and I was caught a little off guard. And the reason I decided back then, would I have done it the same way? Probably not, you know, if I'm doing it today. But the reason I decided back then was for the weeks following the purchase to sort of throw it into conversation and just like "Mm, jab it in there, like "Mm," like that car was because I wanted, I was trying to uh, simulate the feeling of making a poor financial decision or like being in debt. Cause like I've had those feelings for real in my life Mm -hmm. and that's why I'm so the other way. Hold on. So So, let, let me make sure I'm understanding. So she would bring up something about her car a couple weeks after buying it. And then you mm-hmm. thought to yourself, okay, let me jab a little. Let me say, well, just to feel a little uh, like, ooh. Okay. You know what I mean? And Elizabeth, what kind of thing would Adam say? Like, if I was talking about, like, I don't know, something good that happened or something that I bought, he'd be like, oh, like, just like that car that you spent this amount of money on. I'm like, Okay. When you rolled your eyes, what would you be thinking in your head? Like, get over yourself. It's done. There's no going back. Like, we need to just move into the future. Okay. Okay. And Adam, you know, I got to say, I'm fascinated by the the jab psychology here. What were you trying to do with the jabs? What was the the goal there? I just sort of want wanted to simulate the feeling of being in a lot of debt or making a poor financial decision. And like, like I know I've had feelings like that in the past and it like hits you in the gut. Like, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or, Oh, I wish I didn't have this much debt. Things like that. When you were in debt, did you have somebody jabbing you? No, but I was trying. I, I didn't. You're right. What I like about what you said is (laughs) it wasn't an accident. You really did this strategically. So the great thing about this kind of call is you get to find out if your strategy worked. So why don't you ask Elizabeth, did your strategy accomplish the goals that you were going after? Ask her. Did my strategy accomplish the goals I was trying to achieve, Elizabeth? Absolutely not. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry, babe. I wouldn't do it the same way. (laughs) Okay. So Adam made a boneheaded move. He knows it. She knows it. Everybody knows it. I think we can find a little levity in situations like this. When somebody acknowledges they made a mistake, that's a great opportunity to accept it, laugh, and then move on. Yeah, long term, we want to build systems and change our money psychology. But for now, let's lock in the win. Elizabeth, do you want to tell him what it did accomplish? you accomplish like hurting my feelings if that's like kind of what I felt at the time like I it made me feel like stupid like I made a horrible life decision not gonna lie like it it really I hated every time he did it and he did it a lot so I was really upset about it because I'm like can you please just push this you know behind us it's done I don't know why we're reminiscing on it you know boom done now let's move on Adam thinks this was just about the car jabs but I'm willing to bet there's a history here. I'm going to probe him on it because I want to connect his views on money today with what happened in the past. Remember, he used to be in severe debt. Walk us back to that time in your life. I'm guessing you're in your early 20s at that point mm-hmm. yeah. and you have 75K of debt you're walking around with. What was life like for you on a day-to-day basis? I was at my barber getting my haircut and I'm kind of saying this to him like, ah, so it's hard. It's tough to make it. He put me on to Dave Ramsey, bought his book and then just literally did that step-by-step for the next nine months and worked seven days a week, like honest to God, 16 hours a day. And I was just like, this is all I'm going to do. Not go out to eat, not, you know, see friends, not go on vacation, not buy anything. I'm going to get out of debt as fast as possible right now. And I did in about nine months. So that nine months of paying off that debt, what was that like when you look back at that time? Mm, I loved it. It was, yeah, it was awesome. It was like chasing a goal. Like it was, it's so like, I I like, I'm goal oriented. 
And this goal is so easy to see the progress. Like you can put it right up on a chalkboard and like, this has how much left, bam, paid this off, bam, paid this off. It's, it's a great feeling. Okay. What do you notice? There's one big clue. Did you catch it? Adam described being in debt and getting the wake up call from his barber, but those weren't the real clues. You see, part of mastering your money psychology is learning to listen to an enormous amount of information but discarding 95% of it to find the golden nugget, that single thing that actually matters. The real clue, the one clue that matters is that he loved paying off his debt. He loved it. In fact, the more severe the challenge, the more he loved it. Work seven days a week, done. 16 hours a day, no problem. Personally, I love his energy. I love setting that big goal and then working to achieve it. But guess how his experience affects his view of money? Here's a hint. How do you think he feels about other people who are in debt? He's been always goal-oriented and all about money, so that makes perfect sense to me. Mm -hmm. All about money means what? Like, more so, if I buy this, it... I will spend it with cash. I will not take out loans, no credit cards, that kind of thing. And does that strike you as unusual or surprising at all? Um, kind of, because I wasn't like that. And I kind of, I'm still not, I guess. I've never owned a credit card, whether that's a good or a bad thing. I don't know. My debt is disgusting, if that's the right word to use. I don't have, I have a lot of money because I'm in school again. And I'm just digging a bigger and bigger hole. Well, let's talk about that for a second. So, I mean, those are pretty strong words, disgusting, digging a hole. So let, let's talk about that. Before we get to the numbers, mm-hmm. when you think about your debt, what words come to mind for you? Horrifying. Mm-hmm. Disgusting is the best word for it because I've, I've always been like a, I don't want to say a penny pincher, but I've been frugal my entire life. And to see the amount of money that I am accumulating in debt, like absolutely is disgusting to me Okay, and I can't control it. And, um, you grew up frugal. Were your parents frugal? My mom was, my dad didn't really like spend money. Yeah. She was frugal, but she loved spending money on like, what? She, on, like shoes, stupid things that she didn't need for like a trip, like stuff that she probably already had, just didn't want. Like she wanted the newer item. Okay. And what do you remember growing up about your family and money? My family, I like grew up very well off. Money never seemed like an issue. Granted, I don't really know behind the scenes, but it never seemed like an issue for them. They had their cars paid off. All the cars that I had were bought by my parents and they were completely paid off. I don't know. I suspected there was a connection with her parents, but it didn't quite pan out. You might have caught her mom. You might have caught her say that her mom used to buy all these stupid things she didn't need. Again, that's pretty strong language, but I don't really think there's much here for now. So I'm going to leave that thread open and move on. And this is actually a great meta lesson. When you talk to your partner about money, it's a very valuable skill to know when to move on. You have lots of chances to talk about money. You don't have to cover everything at once. So just open up a few conversations, have a little laugh, and then move on. You already mentioned you don't feel confident about money. In fact, you shy away from it. Right. What is something in your life you do feel confident about? Give me a couple of examples. Like how I project myself to people. Like I know... I have a bubbly personality and I know that I'm not afraid to show that and I'm not afraid to be heard. So I feel I, that is like a big thing for me. Cause I, I never used to feel that way, you know, but now I, I do, I'm comfortable with myself and that's a, that's a good feeling. That's really interesting. So per, sounds like personally and professionally you feel confident. And what is most interesting is that you didn't used to feel that way and something shifted. Can you give me a basic approximate age when that shifted for you? So I'm a twin and I think I used to be the shy one, not really like talking to anybody, kind of self-reserved. She was the social butterfly. She had to go to all the events, whatever. I think that shifted 
probably when I got to like sixth grade and I started like talking more. When I went to college, like that was a whole different light for me. And I really just shine. Love that. And can I, can I go out on a limb and guess that when you were younger, your parents would describe you as she's the shy one. Oh, she's, she loves being around people. Is that what would happen? Mm -hmm. And how do you think that that label affects you? I don't, I want to say maybe like it made me feel like the castaway, I guess. Like, I'm just like, I don't belong, Mm. you know, because like my mom's a social butterfly too. And like, I want to be like her, like my sister, you know, competing to be that way. And I just couldn't at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And after you started to flourish, was there a while where your parents still referred to you as the shy one where you had changed your own opinion? A little bit. Um, like then it's like, I, I still had that shy and then it was like, Oh, well, she's the star. I was the scholar. I was the athlete. I became this whole different person. I had completely changed dynamics as I was growing up. She was describing herself. Are you starting to see that connection now? Words really have power. Remember earlier when Elizabeth used those extremely negative words to describe her debt? She said stupid, disgusting, horrible. She wasn't only describing her debt, she was describing herself. Are you seeing the connection now? The words you use, I'm picking up on a lot of them. Worry, disgusting, horrible. Is that accurate in how you feel about your financial situation? Yes. Okay. And if you had to describe something physical, how would you describe that on your body? Um, Shaking. Almost like my whole body's going to explode. Like I get so nervous talking about it. Like I can hear my own mouth right now. Like like just shaking back and forth because I don't like to talk about my debt. Yeah. You don't like to talk about it because what? Because of how high the number is. And I feel like I'm like being judged a little bit, but I know like, again, how Adam said, like his mom said, you know, everybody has debt. It's just part of life. I just, I don't want to see it that way, but I don't know how to get out. Okay. Well, first of all, how would it feel if I were to tell you that there's definitely a light at the end of the tunnel and you absolutely will be able to pay off your debt. How would that feel? Good. And I, and I know that, you know, right now that I'm in school, like I'm not obviously making as much as I was before I went back. And I know that once I get to my career, it'll, you know, I will feel a little bit lighter. It's just, I'm, I'm struggling to see it now. Yeah. Keep going on that metaphor of feeling lighter. If you mentioned that it feels shaking, right? In your mm-hmm. body, your teeth, you can feel that shaking. Now, just for a moment, pretend with me, pretend that that feeling was gone and that it was just, you, you never felt that again. What would that feel like to you? And kind of walk me through it physically, the shaking, where's the shaking going? Is it going up? Is it going down? Talk me through that. These questions might seem a little odd, but I'm asking them for a specific reason. I want her to get out of her head. When she describes how her debt feels, how it physically feels, you can actually hear her describe these finances in a totally different way. It's much more vivid. She's actually feeling it as we're all listening. I'm going to say the shaking's going to go down, like completely leave my body down to my feet. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't have to worry about this, like I would actually feel less stress. My head would be in a clear space. Like anxiety would be gone. You know, like I wouldn't have to think about it. Okay. Fantastic. I mean, what would it, what would it feel like to be able to wake up, you know, get in the car, the beautiful red car you have drive and you got a big smile on your face. I mean, how how would that feel to you? Oh, that would feel almost heavenly, Yeah. you know, like euphoric. Yeah. That that's, those words to me are words that belong in a rich life. Okay. Mm -hmm. Euphoric, heavenly light. That's beautiful. And we could get there. We can get there, but we need to do a little bit of digging before we figure out how, what label do you think you give yourself now? Let's think about money. For example, 
uh, now that I have adult money. <laughs> what were the words you used to describe yourself and money in the first five minutes of us talking? Like horrible and dumb, stupid, disgusting. Yeah. So how do you think you using those labels for yourself affects the way that you behave with money? Uh, it feels really bad. <laughs> like I, I, those are strong words that I describe that. And I like, and I think that's like my problem too. Like I, I know that I have those like characteristics about it, but I try to throw them in the closet and pretend they're not there until it comes up. Yeah. You're trying to change, but you have a leash around your own neck and that leash is of your own making. You're holding the leash and the leash says, I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I'm horrible. Out of curiosity, by the way, would you ever call anyone at work dumb, stupid, and horrible? Yeah, sure. I would probably say. You'd call them that to their face? No, no, no. My God, no. I would never say that out loud. (laughs) Damn, that did not go the way I thought it would. But I think she gets the message. Okay. Would you ever call someone to their face in your family dumb, stupid, and horrible? No, I don't think so. I would say more their actions, but I would never say like, you are stupid. Okay. So how come you say you are stupid to yourself? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's just like making me, I want to make myself feel that, you know, to push through that I am maybe making, you know, horrible decisions with money. Maybe it's like a wake up call. Does it work? No, <laughs> no. It doesn't. So, but I'm, I am curious, what do you get out of it? Because you do get something out of calling yourself dumb, stupid, and horrible. What is it? I mean, it's definitely not gratification. I don't even know why I do it. You want to ask Adam what he thinks? Yeah. What do you, what do you think about that? I think you may get an excuse not to engage in money conversations with us. That is true. I guess I do say like when I am faced with that conversation, I do say I'm dumb. I I don't understand what you're saying. Wow. I use that a lot. And Elizabeth, do you think that you consciously are using that? Again, like I don't, I like, I feel dumb right now. You know, like I don't, I don't, I don't know. You hear that? Notice that automatic, unconscious retreat to saying she feels dumb. You can't get a more obvious clue than that. You don't have to feel dumb. Nobody knows you better than you. So tell us, you're using this consciously. Tell us more. I don't, I don't know. Like, I just, like, sorry. I don't want to mean to, like, be emotional about it. I just, I know, like, I can do better. But I just can't let myself like I, I don't it's like I put up this, you know, invisible wall that's not making me go forward. I'm stuck. Stuck. So I feel like a lot of this uh, stuck feeling and just these, these high emotions that Elizabeth is experiencing are partly because of me, because I feel like I put such a high value on money. She worries that if it's like she doesn't live up to my expectations or something like that, then I might be disappointed or whatever. And that will never be the case. The importance of money, I know, is not as important as our relationship. I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I believe that. I appreciate the candor. I do think that you put a lot of pressure on her. Elizabeth, would you Mm -hmm. agree? Yeah, a lot. A lot. So realistically and i've actually never told this to you elizabeth uh but this is truly how i think realistically i i know that hundred thousand dollars in debt even if you had a single income at the income you're gonna have when you get out of school is nothing you could do that in one year if you if you wanted to just work your regular job out of school and pay the debt off we'll be married and I have an income as well. And we're going to attack this debt together. I'm not worried about the debt. Like that is going to go away quickly. And I know that 
pretty much the whole thing of of this that I've been doing of just putting the I don't know like putting debt on this pedestal. Can I interrupt for a second? So, yeah, you just had this this very nice sentence you shared with us about you're not worried about debt and and she could even pay it off if she was just on a single income. I hear you. I know you're seeing the math floating in your head. I see it. Mm -hmm. Do you think she believes what you just said deep down? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, Do you believe that, Elizabeth? To a certain extent, I guess. I don't know. I just... It's uncomfortable. I don't like cutting my guests off, but Adam was about to take us down a very unproductive direction, and I saw it happening from a mile away. Here's what just happened. He had this very nice comment about how realistically she could easily pay off her debt quickly, which he knows because he understands the numbers and he used to be in debt too. There's just one big problem. Elizabeth isn't hearing a word of what he's saying. Sure, she can hear it, but she's not really listening. She doesn't believe it. And that's because Adam is approaching this from a tactical, logical approach. Did you hear what he said? $100,000 in debt, one year. You could pay that off. It's nothing. I'm not worried. Yeah, but she is. For someone who calls themselves stupid and lacks confidence in money, none of what Adam said means anything. In fact, it often makes them feel worse because their partner just doesn't understand them. I cut Adam off because he wasn't looking at Elizabeth as he launched into this grand monologue and she was starting to withdraw. I want to give him a chance to redirect it and really reconnect with her. If you ever follow me on Instagram, sometimes you'll see me post about my behind-the-scenes travel experiences coffee tours, salsa making classes in Mexico, all kinds of culinary stuff in India. And I'll get a lot of people saying, where do I find that Kyoto notepad maker that you found? And one place you can find that is Viator. In fact, my wife and I used Viator to book a Segway tour where we took a tour of a new city and we had an amazing experience, something we never would have thought of doing on our own. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. And with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everybody. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real travel reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best travel activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. I get tons of email every single day, and I want to give you a behind-the-scenes look at how I manage emails from my team, from my family, and from you. I use a piece of software called Superhuman. And this is an email software that I actually pay for out of my own pocket. It works with your existing email service like Gmail or Outlook. And let me share how it saves me over 10 hours a week. So here are a few things I love about it. First off, it splits my inbox into different streams. So my important emails come into one place. It's not cluttered with a bunch of subscriptions everywhere. Next, I use keyboard shortcuts. Unlike you barbarians who literally click and peck through every single email. U to market unread, S to star it, J or K to cycle through messages. I use keystrokes to schedule messages, like when I want to ask one of my coworkers a question, but I don't want to send them an email on a Saturday. Now, I can work through dozens of emails in minutes using this. And Superhuman just introduced an AI feature, which allows you to take a huge email with all these people chiming in and automatically summarize what's going on in a few bullet points. It'll even draft emails for you. So if you want to buy back your time, Superhuman is a no-brainer to me. It's something I spend my own money on and I love it. Right now, all IWT listeners will get a free month of Superhuman. You can get started at superhuman.com slash Ramit. That's superhuman.com slash Ramit, R-A-M-I-T. How do you want to proceed, Adam? This is a golden opportunity for you. Mm. So it's uncomfortable. 
what feelings are you feeling right now? What, what is making it uncomfortable? I'm feeling like a little taken back a little bit confused in a certain sense, kind of like, I mean, I feel like upset. I see. Well, I guess where I was going with that is not to make it seem like money is the most important. I was trying to make a point that actually not worried about the money. I know you could pay it off at any time. And even if you didn't pay it off and you wanted to... Uh, uh, stop, stop, stop. Okay. You're going into monologue land. Yes, sorry. Nobody wants the monologue. Yeah, Watch yeah, this. Yeah. Watch this. Hey, yeah. Adam, I have a really bad sunburn on my arm. It really hurts. And I'm worried that it's mm. going to hurt even more and it's going to leave a permanent scar. Mm. Now, give me the same answer you gave Elizabeth in your monologue. <laughs> no, it won't be on your for the rest of your life. Yes. You said, I'm not worried. In fact, I know that the sunburn based on the geometric numbers of the SPF 45 is going to yeah. blah, 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 blah. Mm, I should be here with you. I'm here with you. Yeah. How do you think I feel when I'm telling you I'm worried about this scar on my skin for the rest of my life? And your answer right. is? No, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Elizabeth, am I getting that approximately right? Yeah, that, that was actually a good analogy there. <laughs> okay. So why don't we try this again? And yeah. let's not get into the numbers because sure. that is the temptation, especially mm -hmm. of anyone who has been through a debt payoff or investment or anything like that. That's what I did. And it did yes. not go well in my own relationship when I mm. first started talking about money. Let me tell you what happened in my relationship. My wife and I were engaged and we finally started talking about money. I know, I know. I broke my own rules. I should have brought this up earlier. Anyway, we finally started talking about our salaries and investments and all that stuff. I was loving it. Hey, finally I get to share all these cool systems I built. So cool. And then we started talking about a prenup. And at first, it was actually pretty good. But soon it got really, really hard. And looking back, my wife and I would both agree that we didn't approach it from the best place. And she approached it from a position of scarcity. But do you know what I did? I rushed straight to the numbers. Hey, here's why the number is so logical. Makes perfect sense if you just factor in a 4% safe withdrawal rate, which I really think is too conservative. So we could do 3.5% knowing that you can likely get a 7.8% return. Of course, that includes inflation. <laughs> then the numbers actually just write themselves. Fuck. I hate my past self. That's why I want to save a lot of you logical dorks from yourself. You know who you are. You have a little success with numbers. You read a fire forum or 40 of them. Maybe you understand compound interest a little bit. Suddenly you think everyone can logically see the world the same way you do. Hey, dorks, logic is great, but it's just one tool. And sometimes it's the least important tool. That's where a lot of problems happen when you try to rush to the numbers just as I did. Now the numbers matter. But if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that they're actually one of the last things that you nail down. Rich life first, then the numbers. Okay. So Elizabeth, can you start us off again? Tell us how you're feeling about your debt, that amount that you have. And then Adam, I want you to really think about your approach here. You have a golden opportunity to demonstrate the importance of your relationship. Go ahead, Elizabeth. The way I feel about my debt is what it makes me feel stupid that I got here. It's disgusting about how much I have accumulated over the years uncontrollably in some sort of sense again. And I feel like I'm stuck in this hole that I'll never be able to get out of. And I don't see how it's going to get better right now. Well, life is going to go on and I'll be here with you to figure out how it's going to get better as we grow together. I know that you want to help me and I know that you want to like help me understand and make better choices, but like, I just don't want this to be all about money. And that's kind of what it seems like. Play that out for us. If it is all about money. Okay. And you graduate, you have all this debt, play that out. What happens in this relationship? It'll almost be like a contract that I'm signing that 
it says I need to have this amount of time to pay off my debt in this allotted time frame, and or something bad will happen. Him not wanting to be with me because I have all this debt. Yeah, and, and I think um, that was always my biggest fear. So, Adam, hearing this, how do you feel hearing Elizabeth say this? Putting myself in Elizabeth's shoes, that must be terrible to go through life in a relationship that way. And I wish there was some way I could convey to you and you believe me that that will never be the case. I, I completely believe you. I do. Mm-hmm. Like bottom of my heart, I believe it. Just it's, you just have that feeling still? Yeah. I can't shake it until like I kind of see like a more better turnout for me, I guess. What do you mean by better turnout? Like when I actually start getting this money and putting it uh, actually towards the loans and be done with having loans and just focus on paying those off instead of, you know, I'm in school. It, it just keeps getting higher and higher. So that sounds like you almost feel underwater because, you know, if you only have a few more semesters, but the, the loans are still piling and that makes you just feel like this weight. Mm-hmm. Like I, then, I yeah. can't get out of the hole that I dug. There's no ladder yet. I got you. How do I support you through this short time until the ladder arrives? Like I, I appreciate you like helping me and, you know, giving me, providing me resources to help me through that. But it, I just, I don't want to have every conversation have to start with money. Got you. I understand. Okay. That was fantastic. Watching the two of you engage in this dance and it's a new dance you're both learning. So everybody's a little bit uncomfortable, but you're both giving it all you've got. And that is really fantastic. I appreciate Adam's question. How can I support you? Love that. And Elizabeth, I appreciate the candor, which is, hey, I I appreciate some of the resources, but really, I don't want everything to be about money. Let's zoom out for a second. We have not gotten to things like creating a debt payoff plan because that is a technical, tactical thing. And, you know, it's covered in my book and all over the place. That's not going to solve the problem. I could show you right now exactly the month and year that your debt will be paid off will have zero effect on how you feel about money, Elizabeth. And Adam as well, they'll have zero effect on your relationship. The deeper issues here, can both of you spot what some of the deeper issues are? There needs to be a little bit more of uh, like psychological safety in the relationship. And that needs to be the bedrock of this. And then these tough conversations can come after that. Elizabeth. I I completely 100% agree with that. I mean, I do think over time we've gotten better at communicating. And I, I know I've always struggled with that, but it's a scary topic for me. And I'm trying to do what I can to better us in that sense. I love this concept of psychological safety. I, I want to talk about what that would look like. Specifically, if I were to come into your house and observe you two having a conversation or even a fight about money, what would it look like if the two of you were in a psychologically safe relationship? This is really important. They've both agreed that they need more psychological safety and they're right, but I'm pressing them now to define it. What is psychological safety? What would it look like? You'll find that this same scenario happens in your own money conversations. You or your partner will say something like, we just need to be more supportive of each other. And you'll both nod and you'll agree. And then the next day, you'll go back to doing exactly what you used to do. When I work with students, whether it's on the podcast or in my programs, I insist on getting specific down to the observable behaviors. Now, just imagine if I were sitting on your couch, observing the two of you talking about money. I'm eating habanero salsa that I brought in my own Ziploc bag because fucking Tabasco is not spicy. Here's my question for you. How would I know that you're both providing psychological safety? 
Would it be a specific phrase that you would say? Would you have an index card that you would use with a checklist on it? Would it be that you have an agenda and you talk about money on the first of every month? I want to see the behavior, not just the feeling. Feelings are powerful, but without behaviors, they're often misleading or ephemeral. Tie those specific behaviors in and you're going to see real lasting change. Just having the ability to make it through a full conversation about money, whether whatever it is, tactical stuff about, you know, how we're going to pay this debt off or mm-hmm. thinking yeah. about the next purchase and emotions not rising. Specifically, right what does that mean? Emotions not rising. You know, nobody is, nobody's muscles are tensing up. Nobody is saying, uh, I always look out for you always. Like you always talk about money or you always, whatever. No one is saying that. What are you saying instead? Just literally anything uh, on the subject. Notice how hard it is for Adam to get specific. This is so common. I'm going to keep pushing him. By the way, I sound really mean in these comments, but I was absolutely loving this. So I'm not sure why I sound like a prison guard yelling at someone. Sorry, Adam. I guess I'm thinking more of like a technical conversation it could could go anywhere it's not the technical what are you saying instead it doesn't matter what the topic uh, in personal finances yeah you've told me you're not going to say things like you always do x Mm. what are you going to say i just feel like maybe i you people would be saying i feel okay so you're going to talk about feelings good yeah what else um and just like reassurances like i'm here with you love that this kind of thing Love yeah. that. And, and let's talk about that last 60 seconds of the conversation. Maybe it was a pretty controversial or provocative or even heated discussion. What happens mm-hmm. in those last 60 seconds of the conversation? What are you going to be saying to each other then? Just like, okay, wow, I'm glad we came to that conclusion. I'm glad we had this conversation. Watch this, Adam. Elizabeth, in that last 60 seconds of a psychologically safe conversation, what are you saying to each other? I, I love you. I love you. Yeah. Guys, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You love each other. And the way that you can express that is if you feel safe. Right. Now, I'm going to guess, I'm going to go on on a big limb here. The last 10 times you talked about money, you didn't look each other in the eye and say, I love you at the end of that conversation. Is that That's right? Spot on. That's spot on. <laughs> That's spot on. As you can tell, I am loving this. And so are they. We can have fun even though money can be stressful. And this is an awesome moment to create new rituals. Some of their rituals involve new habits, like saying I love you at the end of a money conversation they have. Some of their rituals will involve getting rid of old stories that they used to tell themselves. Once we're done with this call, I'm going to give you a little bit of homework. I want you to take a piece of paper, dumb, horrible, stupid, Write those down on a piece of paper. I am dumb. I am horrible. I want you to throw those in a fireplace or light them on fire and take a picture of it and send it to me. Okay? That's going to be your homework for today because those days are over. I feel relieved. Yeah. How come? Because I feel like this was a weight that I feel like was on our shoulders together and I don't want to feel that way. In this episode there were a few points that really stood out to me. First, words have power. When we call ourselves bad with money, that can often become a self-fulfilling prophecy. We can rewrite that language to say something instead, like, I haven't mastered the skill of money yet, but I'm going to put aside time each week so I can get better at my own finances. Oh, what a beautiful reframe. The second point that really stood out to me was that each of us can have very different experiences with money. He was in debt, loved paying it off as aggressively as possible. She also has debt, somewhat of a similar amount, and she approaches it in a totally different way. Doesn't mean one is right or wrong, but we have to be able to hear how the other person thinks about their financial situation. 
before we jump in and tell them to do it our way. And finally, one of the things that really stood out to me today was that you can have fun in these conversations. We can make some jokes about each other. We can laugh. We can create some new rituals. If you're having money conversations, you should be laughing at least once a conversation. That's a sign that you're on the right track. So send me a note from today's episode. You can email me if you're on my email list. You can DM me on Instagram. You can tweet me. And tell me one thing that stood out to you from today's episode. Remember, I want to hear from you with each of these podcast episodes here at I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to I Will Teach You To Be Rich. I'm Ramit Sethi. Please follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you and your partner interested in being on this podcast? Every once in a while, I take applications from couples who need financial help. Sign up to my newsletter at IWT.com to get notified when the application window is open. Here's what you'll find next week on the I Will Teach You To Be Rich podcast. Our seven-year-old, he knows, and he has told me, mommy, don't blow all our money. I'm frustrated I can't do more for myself. I feel like I'm working hard and, you know, doing a lot to provide for the family, yet I come last in it. I would like to do more for myself. There's only so much that people can put up with. You know, travel is one of my money dials. It's one of the areas that I love to spend money on. I travel for months every year and I'm fanatical about the hotels I stay in and the experiences that my wife and I go through when we go on these trips. And I wanted to share another podcast that I really love called All the Hacks. It's by my friend, Chris Hutchins. And Chris is the person I actually called when I wanted to build a personal playbook for how to use my airline points. I got on the phone with him and my assistant and Chris said, okay, which cards do you have? And we went through it and we built a personalized travel playbook because Chris knows everything there is to know about travel. And now he's got this amazing podcast that I want you to check out. Again, it's called All the Hacks. Chris has traveled to over 60 countries, mostly for free. And each week on All the Hacks, he shows listeners how you can do the same with expert guests. He even does deep dives on specific travel locations. For example, there was recently an episode with the founder of a travel company where he broke down where to find off-the-beaten-path experiences in Italy and the best way to use points and miles for your next trip there. I've had the opportunity to be Chris's guest multiple times. Most recently, we talked about money and relationships and building a shared vision for your rich life. You can check that out on episode 112. So check this podcast out. It's actually very interesting. I want you to search for all the hacks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your wallet will thank you later. Thank you.